we're in this series and concluding that love isn't blind. Just looking at different aspects of relationships and uh, how we often have blind spots or have unrealistic expectations about things. And it's been a little bit of a different, but I think a great series. And literally today, the heart of the message is love isn't blind. It actually sees others. And we are talking about that God created us for community. Our mission statement as a church is growing lives connected to Christ, His cause and community. And I don't want to spend too much time on it, but the whole challenge is all of the key words in this are action words. We are meant to keep on growing in 2 Peter 3, verse 18, it says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour. Keep on growing. Secondly, we're connected to Christ. Without Him, we can do nothing. And in John 15 and verse 15, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. And so the challenge for every one of us in our everyday as people who follow Jesus, and if you haven't yet made that decision, we'll give you an opportunity. You can take your time, but it's a wonderful choice to make. But we live connected to Christ. And sometimes we rush off into our day a week and we forget, but if we abide, we remain in Jesus, invite Him into our circumstances, we'll be a lot more fruitful in what we do. But we're also connected to His cause. Jesus came for a purpose. And in Mark 16 verse 15, He says to us as disciples, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. And I love the emphasis, it's the gospel. And the gospel literally means good news. So in the New Living Translation, it's translated the good news. And all I'd encourage you is don't be a bad news Christian. Be a good news Christian in the way you engage with others. And in a sense, this is the heart of the message today. But then there's this whole thing of being committed to community. And God said right at the beginning, and he wasn't just talking about Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. Mankind, humanity, we're not created to do life in isolation, cut off from others. God created us to be in community. And at life, you see, when we speak about community, we have an inward focus. It's this community of faith and multiple others that join in our online, in our other campus, in our small groups, in all the things that we do. But we also have a responsibility and a relationship to the Canberra community. And there's many things we do in that, Red Frogs, but there's also, uh, which is a ministry predominantly into university and helping people there, but also Canberra City Care, our care on down the other end of this enormous building. And as you heard today, we have a connection to an international community through missions. And we heard of what um, the Irons are doing in Cambodia in just bringing things together. So it's against that backdrop we need to understand that God is a God of community. I just want you to catch this and I don't want to get too heavy, 
but you can handle it. I know you can. An eternal divine community of perfect love exists at the center of all reality and at the heart of the universe. I just want to say that again. An eternal divine community of perfect love exists at the centre of all reality and at the heart of the universe. Theologians refer to this as the Trinity, the Trinity. And the doctrine of the Trinity overloads our mental circuits at time. So I'm not going to spend too much time on that. But God, one God in three persons, in Genesis 1 and verse 26, refer, the, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit speaking. God said, let us, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, make mankind or humanity in our image and after our likeness. You see, God didn't live alone in eternity past. One God, three persons in a divine community sits at the very heart of everything that we experience in reality and in the universe. Everything us being created comes out of the heart of God who is in this incredible community between Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The Bible says that God is love. It's the only absolute statement that is made about the nature and the character of God. There's many things we learn about God being holy and righteous and the God of justice and all those things. But the Bible says God is love. And the only way for God to be love is if He has a community to love. And that's what happened before creation, Father, Son and Holy Spirit in this divine community at the centre of everything. And out of that, He says, let us do something to extend this community. That's the very heart and purpose of creation. Love cannot exist in isolation. It has to love someone and receive love back. That's what love is. Some of the early church fathers used a Greek word to describe this love between Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And it's the Greek word perikiotis. I think I mispronounced that. If you're near a Greek, ask them and they'll correct you and me. But it literally can be used to describe a divine dance of perfect love that's been going on for all eternity. Each person of the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, loves and adores and honours and defers to the other. And you can go through verse after verse where the Trinity is spoken of and you'll see that deferring, that honouring, that loving and rejoices in what each one member of the Godhead accomplishes. And the life of the Trinity is not characterised by self-centredness, but by mutual self-giving love. And therefore, it's unsurprising that from the beginning, God created us, humanity, to be in community, to share love. One with we, we are included in His community. The Bible says in Genesis, Adam and Eve in the cool of the day walked with God and had a conversation and enjoyed the community. He told them to go and be fruitful and multiply. By the way, it's the only command that humanity has no problem obeying. Just a little thought there. 
But even before the fall, and what we're referring to as the fall is when Adam and Eve sinned and sin entered and corrupted God's creation. Even before the fall, after God creating things and going, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is very good. Suddenly God says, there's something that's not good. It's not good for man, humanity to be alone. And He begins to do something in order to create a new humanity, a new community. I love something that Dr. Gilbert had to say, theologian. Community is deeply grounded in the nature of God. It flows from who God is because He is community. He creates community and it's His gift of Himself to humans. God's gift to us is community, to be connected with others, even those of us who are introverts. We need community. We can't live in isolation. I saw an interview of that. I didn't watch the show. I just saw snippets of it. But I saw the lady interviewed who won the Australian version of Alone where you're dumped in the wilderness. And she said she was an introvert. But after 68 days, I think it was, of being alone, she said her craving to see somebody, talk to somebody, be connected somewhere was so incredibly overwhelming that when she saw a person who came to tell her that she had won the competition, she just broke down in tears. First, because there was a person there and second, she won, which is a girl thing. They cry when they're happy and when they're sad. And then you wonder why men are confused. (laughs) Sorry, that was just a little overflow of the heart. (laughs) But in John 17, it's called the great high priestly prayer of Jesus. In John 17 verse 22 is part of this prayer. He says of us and of the disciples, we're disciples. He says, I've given them the glory. And the word glory there means praise, enjoyment and delight. I've given them the glory, speaking to the Father, that you gave me. Notice Jesus acknowledging the Father gave him praise, enjoyment and delight. And He said, what I've received from you, I'm giving to them. Not just those in the moment, but down through time to us. The glory that you, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one. And the Greek word that is not one as singular, but unity. That they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. So that they may be brought to complete unity. And so it's really important that as followers of Jesus, we are relationally connected. In fact, it's one of our values. Our goal as a community of faith is to prioritise relationships that are loving and are honouring, where every person is significant, valuable and cared for, regardless of race, gender, age or status. Now, nobody's pretending that's easy and nobody's pretending that sometimes we don't get that wrong. Not you, me. That we sometimes get something wrong, there's misunderstanding and that's why forgiveness is such an important part of community. 
But Paul in Ephesians 2 and verse 19, and I'm reading from the Amplified, which just gives you a bit of more insight into the Greek words, it's amplified. Therefore, you are no longer outsiders, exiles, migrants and aliens, excluded from the rights of citizens. But you now share citizenship with the saints, God's own people, and you belong to God's own household. You belong in the household of God. The minute you say yes to Jesus, you belong in the household of God. If you haven't yet said yes to Jesus, God wants you to belong to the household of God. He doesn't want you to feel excluded from His community. When Jesus began His ministry, He called 12 disciples as His primary relational and ministry community. Now, the question is, did He really need them? No, He could have done it all by Himself. But He chose community. Now He had another purpose because He was ultimately going to commission them to do what He did. But He didn't need them. In fact, they sometimes messed things up. They got the wrong end of the stick. They rebuked people when they shouldn't have. They told kids to go away when Jesus said, no, come to them, I wanna bless them. It wasn't a perfect community, but He invested in community. One of them would deny Him. Most of them would flee when He was in His hour of greatest need. Judas would betray Him, but Jesus still invited people into a community and He did life with them. In fact, our theme verse for this year is Mark 3, 13 and following. Jesus went up a mountainside and called to Him those He wanted and they came to Him and He appointed the 12 that they might be with Him. What a powerful phrase, that they might be with Him. Spend time with Him, be in His community and that He might send them out. There was a mission, there was a commission. Community has to give something. It's not just about being in community and everything self-absorbed and inward looking. There's a point, He wanted them to be with Him, but it's also so that He could send that sense of community out to others. And Jesus continued to model this and shape this community of believers who loved God and loved one another and then did something beyond that. The early church continued in this practice of inward and outward. In Acts 2 verse 46 and following, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, kind of doing this, big church. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. So there's an outside thing. There's an overflow of this community. And the Lord added to their number daily those who have been saved. And I love that God puts food right at the very centre of community. How many others appreciate that? There is just something whether you're in or outside of God's community, there's just something about hanging out and sharing food. To me, one of the most remarkable, I'm on a little tangent here, not too big, statements in the Scripture is when Moses takes some of the elders of Israel up the mountain with the glory of God and the Ten Commandments were given. And they came and they on the edge of the presence of God and it says they sat down and they ate. Like of all the things to do in God's presence, 
I love the fact that the end, there's a marriage supper of the Lamb. God is into food. And how many of us are just so thankful? I just want to talk to him about calories. <laughs> Acts 5 verse 42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And we really want to encourage you, if you're not in a life group, as we call them, a small group, please inquire and get involved. If you'd like to host one, you kind of go, I want to be one. And actually, I've got a home. I'm happy to open it. I'll vacuum clean. I'll dust occasionally. I'll just make sure there's tea and coffee and the rest of them, they can bring cakes and cookies and cheese and all the rest of it. And you just want to host it. Or if you go, I want to lead it. And leading a life group is not complicated. You don't have to be a theologian. You just got to love people. And there's a QR code. There it is. That you can take your phone out now. I give you permission if you don't already have it out and look in a Facebook and Instagram and everything else, you can get your phone out, scan that, and you can give an expression of interest to lead a life group, to host a life group, or I'd like to attend a life group. And once you've done that, we will hound you mercilessly. And to, no, we won't. You're not signing your life away in blood by scanning that coat. It's just saying, it's also around the church and a few other places. I just want to be involved. I want to connect. I want to take a step. And sometimes it's hard to step into a new group, to go to a home you haven't been to before, or even to come to this building. And so if you've done that for the first time today or been brought by a friend, we celebrate that courage to step in and say, I've got something going on in my life about God and I just want to find out. So I encourage you. As part of God's extended community life groups, as we see from the New Testament, are such a powerful thing. But I want to go to the second part of community. Because I said there's the inward focus, and for us that's life groups. But then there's the outward focus. And yeah, we can participate in it by investing in missions and sending and equipping people and releasing people like Chad and Corey Iron and others that we support in international missions. We can invest and there's a whole lot of people here that volunteer also down in our care arm that at the moment is looking after about 350 families a week and growing sadly in this current financial climate. That, that's a great expression, don't stop doing that. But it's also what are you doing to connect to others that are outside of God's community at the moment and need to be invited in, need to be invited in. So I want to talk about the world, which is a biblical concept, the world, that that part of God's creation that is still not connected to God and His eternal kingdom. I want to talk about the world and Christian community. Again, a verse that we could get stuck on, but I just want to highlight it to you in John 17 and verse 14 and following. Again, part of Jesus' high priestly prayer. He says, speaking to the Father, but about us, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than 
I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And as you have sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. Now there's a whole message or series in that and I'm not gonna do it all, but just notice. He says, not everybody in the world's gonna like them. In fact, sometimes they're gonna hate them. And I don't know if you've noticed the increase, particularly in Western society of an anti-Christian ethos. I don't wanna say that, becoming a victim. That's not what I'm saying, but we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus says that as you follow Him, you no longer of this world. You now transform your citizenship to heaven. You haven't lost your Australian or whatever other passport you hold. You can still have that. But you're now a citizen of heaven. You're not of this world. But He doesn't say, even though the world hates them and there's gonna be stuff going on, He says, Father, I'm praying, please do not take them out of the world, but protect them in it. And then he says, sanctify them with your word and your word is truth. And that's why we continue to refer back to God's word for how we respond, what our values are, all the rest of it. And then he says, as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them. The minute you step out of this building, From God's perspective, you're a sent person. You may not be sent to Cambodia like Chad and Corey Hines. You may not be sent onto a university campus like Red Frogs because you do amazing things there. But you're sent to your neighbourhood, to the next door neighbour to the place where you shop, to the restaurant that you're eating, to a place where you go and watch sport. You, you said, now I'm not talking about going in there and becoming a Bible basher. Please don't do that. Remember, you're meant to be good news. But just to be somebody who connects, who encourages, who shares, who if asked a question, you'll answer it gracefully and present Jesus in the best way you can. And if necessary, as somebody said, use words. You see, when Jesus says we're not of this world, He's not talking about a destination, but a starting point. And the starting point is we're anchored in the kingdom of God, but we're sent out into everybody's world. Every person we have contact with, every person that, that, there's an opportunity. And again, I'm stressing, not as a Bible basher, but I'm talking about somebody. And maybe for some, you're the only Jesus they will get to see until they actually find Him through whatever grace and kindness and encouragement and just genuine friendship flows from your life. You see, you may not be able to change the whole world, but you can change somebody's world. I'm referring now to the story of the Good Samaritan. And I'm not gonna unpack the whole of it, but it it, it is such a powerful teaching of Jesus 
that permeates our whole society, even if they don't know where it came from. The concept of somebody pulled over, helped somebody, they were a good Samaritan, that whole concept. But the context of it was a religious expert, somebody who was very judgmental and opinionated about others, decided to try and trick Jesus and he asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responded and said, what what do the law and the prophets say? What what does God's Word say? And probably a little nervously now, this religious expert trying to trick Jesus said, well, the way I read it, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus said, that is a great answer. If you want to summarise the heart of God, that's it. Love Him and love people. Love your neighbour as yourself. And then he uses this religious leader, a debating tactic, because now he's cornered himself by the answer he gave. And he said, "Uh, who's my neighbour? Who's my neighbour? And in response, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And without going into the history, the animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans was legendary. There was hatred between them for a whole lot of reasons that historically I'm not going to get into right now. And in the first part of the story, Jesus identifies people who look for loopholes, excuses not to engage with others. He says there was a priest, there was, sorry, there was a man, I think you know the story, but I just forgot this a little bit, it's important. He was going from Jerusalem to Jericho and it's a 32 mile journey from high up in Jerusalem down to near the Dead Sea, below sea level. And there were thieves that would beat up people and rob people if they were by themselves. And this man falls victim to such an assault and they beat him and take everything he has. And then there's a priest and a Levite who both just come from church. They've just come from serving in the temple. Different roles, the priest and the Levite, but that's where they're coming from. And when they saw this man beaten up on the side of the road, it says, they passed by on the other side. Both the priest And the Levite did that. They've just been in church, in God's house. They see somebody in need. They didn't not see him. They saw him and literally crossed to the other side of the road, pretending to have seen nothing. They both saw a need, shut their eyes, closed their heart, and crossed over to escape the situation. And there's only two responses that we can have to people's need. We either engage with whatever we have to engage. We can't do everything. We can't fix everything. That's not a guilt trip I'm trying to put on anybody. Or we try to escape. Escape or engagement. John Stott says this, and I'm just going to read this quote. He says, escape means turning our backs on the world in rejection, washing our hands of it. The finding with Pontius Pilate, 
that the responsibility does not come off in the wash. And stealing our hearts against the agonising cries for help. In contrast, engagement means turning our faces towards the world in compassion, getting our hands dirty and sore and worn in its service and feeling deep within us the stirring of the love of God, which cannot be contained. It's a very challenging statement. We either engage or we try to escape. And Jesus introduces the most unlikely hero, one of the most despised people or from a people group most despised by the Jews. It is but a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, unlike the priest of the Levite, he didn't cross the road and pretend he'd seen nothing. He took pity on him. Other translations say he had compassion. Same word, pity, compassion. He had compassion. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He came to where he was. He saw him. He had compassion on him. He went to him. He bandaged. He did something. One of the things that I love about Jesus' wisdom in this parable is that this man then invited others to be a part of the solution. He took him to an inn. He still went off on his business trip or whatever else he was doing. He came back to check up. He didn't do everything, but he did something. And when it comes to engagement, God's not asking us to do everything. He's just asking us to do something. To reach out in some way. It might be small. It might be a word of encouragement. It might be baking some cookies or whatever and a, or a meal and dropping off to a neighbour who you know is going through a tough time. It might be just an encouraging conversation. I, I don't want to go through all the things. Sometimes you can do more. Sometimes you do less. But to ignore is to miss the heart of God for inviting others into community. This man didn't do everything, he just did something. Compassion first beat in the heart of God before it was ever breathed as a life-giving force into the church. God is a God of compassion. Like the musicians to come back up. A very well-known verse, almost to the point where we know it so well we miss something. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. I just want you to notice something. I, I'm not going to take long on this. It doesn't just say God loved the world. 
It says he so loved it. He didn't hate the world. He so loved it. Even though the world, as speaking about all of humanity, had turned his back, had turned their back on him, that ignored him, were living their lives independent. God so loved. He so loved you, me, us, that he did something that is extraordinary. He sent his only son. And I don't want to be trite about this. It's not like he had eight to ten sons and he sent the one that, you know, and he had one. This son, who's God himself, one God, three persons, who'd been in this intimate fellowship from all of eternity past, a concept that boggles our mind, that never not known what it was to be in community, in this divine dance of love, of honouring, deferring. That is the Son He sent to die for us. To where on the cross, the Son cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And He did it so that He could invite us into His community. And it's called salvation. It's called the gift of eternal life. It's called, you don't do anything except receive Jesus. Jesus did it all so you could come back into relationship with God.